Thank you, Sarah. Special. Thank you, brass section. And we had the woodwind there, too. And I wasn't sure. I couldn't tell. I couldn't, Sarah, I couldn't hear Sarah as well because I was behind the pulpit. So I was wondering, is there, is there strings over there tonight or not? But it was a blessing. So, amen. One str- There's a few more strings. But uh, anyway, it's good to have some fun tonight, isn't it? Well, how, what, what weekend is it? What is tomorrow? What's, what's the big thing? Memorial Day. Um, what are you doing for Memorial Day? You know, normally it's always planned for me. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing some type of church barbecue. <laughs> but this year we don't have one, which is interesting, um, but, but not a bad thing. And so it's, it's provoked me to think about what am I going to do? How am I going to celebrate? That's kind of an odd word to use, isn't it? Celebrate. How am I going to remember um, those um, that gave their life for our country? And so as, as caused me and talking to my wife a little bit, how doing something special to make this a big deal. And we do. We usually normally do a big deal at, at our barbecues and try to remember. But, um, boy, there's so many that have given their lives for our freedoms in our country. And uh, tonight I want to do something just different. It's a different type of message. I'm doing a lot of reading tonight. And, and I, just, I just want us to reflect on those that have given their lives for our country uh, but then I really want to focus in on those who have given their life for Christ. It says of Abel there in Hebrews that though he's dead, it still speaks to us. And being the idea that he gave his life and the idea that really he gave his life in, in the fact that he's, he's giving worship to God and he's, he's saying it's, it's, it's all about you, God. And he gave that sacrifice and with his heart and everything, it was accepted but Cain turned around and, and murdered his own brother out of jealousy. Wow. Abel was the first martyr in the Bible. But I want to think about, uh, and so if I entitled my message tonight, would be the fact that though they're dead, they still speak. And they ought to speak. Um, but I want to think about a little bit of our own, our own country and those that have given their lives. And many of you know this, but um, in talking about these different wars, the the war that had the most bloodshed on our own land and the most bloodshed for, for Americans was, of course, the Civil War because we were really fighting ourselves. And I know there's a lot of different reasons for that war, and there's still people that are down south, and they have their reasons for that. And years later, you know, and some still want to have the Confederate flag up, and they, they have their reasons, and not just slavery and things like that. Um, and so I don't want to get in all that, and, and I'm not saying I'm for that. I'm not going to have one in my window, but there's some, some good old boys that have their reasons for that. But there, is, uh, there was around 750,000 people that lost their lives. Three-quarters of a million people. They said that, that that was about 420 people that died a day. That's just amazing. World War II. And during that time, and these are just uh, from the United States, 405,000 people gave their lives. That was about 297 deaths per day. Um, boy, just just sad. World War One, 100, and this was really only a, a year, a year and a half, two years, 116,000 people. That averaged 279 deaths per day. Just Americans. 
just Americans. The Vietnam War, 58,000. That was about 11 people per day. The Korean War was at 54,000, about 45 people per day. That, that's just amazing. The Revolutionary War was 25,000. Um, and, and so the War on Terror, if you're interested, from 2001 to uh, when this was done, and I think it's pretty recent, 6,717 men and women who, who passed away. It's amazing. These are people that have given their lives for our freedoms. These are people that have died on the battlefield. Don Gower told me a story today of a gentleman that got the uh, Medal of Honor. And he, out at, what war was that? Was that Vietnam War? Vietnam War. He went and he dove on a grenade to save three other men. And uh, he ended up passing away. He gave the ultimate sacrifice giving his life for those men. And ultimately, we can think of the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us um, is, is even far beyond that. But it's amazing to hear. I want to I read one story. This is something I've been talking to a few people about. And this goes back to the Civil War. The Civil War, we're still, uh, remembering that that took place about 150 years ago. That's what it is right now. We're planning tomorrow to go and hear a guy that's going to, he's going to, um, He's going to give Abraham Lincoln's speech, and he's going to uh, be dressed up like him and things tomorrow. should be very interesting. Um, but they are remembering the Civil War and, and things. This is a, uh, this is a story um, about some cadets that were in training to be in the military in Virginia. On May 10th, 1864, uh, these Corps of Cadets were ordered to join General John Breckinridge's Confederate forces near Shanton, Virginia. After marching nearly 85 miles northward, the Corps arrived at Newmarket on Sunday morning, May 15, 1864. Now, the Corps of Cadets, these cadets should not have been in war. Do you understand that? They're training. They're in their teens. But because of the lack of reserves that the Confederate had, they called them out of training to come. They marched 85 miles just to get into the war. The general um, for the Union troops, he was atop Bush Hong's Hill, and he ranked the Confederate line with cannons in musketry, creating an ugly gap in the line. Originally, the general of the Confederates refused the advice of a major, a major Charles uh, Semple, to send the corps, saying, This will not do. I cannot expose them to such a fire as our center will receive. These are our boys. This general soon realized he had no choice, and reluctantly he ordered the cadets to fill the gap. Remarkably, the cadets helped close the gap, allowing the Confederate forces to regroup and push back the Union Army. Eventually, this general forced the Union general and his men to retreat, securing the battlefield in the valley for the Confederacy. Many cadets lost their footwear in the fleshly plowed soil, turned to thick mud after several days of rain. That section of the battlefield became known as the Field of Lost Shoes. The cadets, the cadet charge, and the shoeless field are depicted in a painting, Newmarket Battle by Benjamin West, the class of 1880, 
uh, he was of the class of 1880, a dominant feature in Jackson Memorial Hall since its, its unveiling. Um, my phone. What's very interesting about these cadets, it had nothing like that had ever occurred where they had sent really their, their boys to war. They filled the gap and they helped them win. But beginning in 1887, the Virginia Military Institute has marked its role at Newmarket with a solemn roll call beneath the statue, Virginia Honoring Her Dead. It was a gift of the world-renowned sculptor and Newmarket cadet, Moses Ezekiel, who was one of the cadets in that battle on that day. He was a Jewish man, believe it or not. Near the graves of six of the ten cadets killed in the battle, and with today's corps as a silent honor guard in full dress review, each squad and company reports the names of those absent from their ranks. So to this today, they still honor these cadets at the Virginia Military Institute once a year. A current member of the corps, when possible, or a descendant of the family of the Newmarket cadet, is assigned to answer for each of the ten. The names pass forward by platoon to company to the regimental commander who reports to the commander of cadets the following names, Atwill, Cabell, Crockett, Hartsfield, Haynes, Jefferson, Jones, McDowell, Stannard, Wilwright, and to each name comes the grave reply, died on the field of honor, sir, to remember these men. You see, folks, it's very important for us to remember those that have died for the freedoms and the things that we have. Virginia is very proud of these cadets that went to war, even though some may have disagreed with them being Confederates and all that. To this day, this Virginia Military Institute honors these cadets for their courage and bravery in doing this. But folks, as I think about our military and think about it and just, just want to praise the Lord for those that have fought for our freedoms and have given the ultimate gift their own lives, I think of all the great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, that have gone on before, and there's many believers that have gone on before and many that have not had to go through things that others have gone through. And many of us do not understand the full persecutions and the full things that, that go on in a society that's co- totally countercultural to Christianity. But folks, it has taken place in years past, and we, we, we must not forget those that have went on before us, those great cloud of witnesses in their, their walk for the Lord and them giving of their own lives. If you would go to Revelation chapter 2, we'll just start there tonight. Revelation chapter 2, and we'll read verse 12. Though, they, though they're dead, they yet speak. John writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. 
We don't know much about this church. We don't know much about this gentleman, but he was a faithful martyr. And church history does record some about this gentleman and him giving of his life in Satan's seat. Can you imagine being in a place that's called Satan's seat? Well, folks, there are certain places in this world that are Satan's seat. We're seeing even uh, ISIS come in and, and certain people where the people are being beheaded and they're simply asked, are you a Christian? Or would you take would you take Allah to be your God? Just questions like that. And sometimes you kill them no matter what. Just very sad. Very, very sad. Turn, if you would, to another passage in Revelations. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. This being the seals, this is the fifth seal that will be opened. But very interesting what it has to, to say. John writes in... And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And then he opened the sixth seal. Wow. Powerful. There's those that were martyred and there would be yet still some during that time that would be martyred. Place. When you think about those that were martyred in the Bible, I've already said that Abel was the first one. It's very interesting because really all, all he's doing is an act of worship to God. And, and he gives of, um, of, of, uh, of an animal and, and gives that to God. And he must have the right heart. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that it showed his righteousness. It showed that he had his, his faith was right in God. It wasn't in his own works. It was in, in God alone. And, and Cain giving something, no doubt he worked for something that was his best. He gave that, and I'm not so sure that it was just the offering that wasn't a good offering. There had to be more to it. There had, there's always, with any offering, it doesn't matter what you give, there's got to be a heart of, of love and adoration for the Lord. You can doesn't matter how much you give. If you don't have a right heart, a heart of gratitude, God's not going to accept the worship part of that. But Cain gets jealous, and God even says to him, sin's knocking at the door. And how are you going to respond? And he responds and kills his brother. You see, throughout um, Christianity, there's always been at times, different times in church history, where, where people have a different view of God and a different view of, of the church. And they're willing to kill others that don't have that right view. Did you know that? We see that today. But there's been times, as we even look in the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. And, and all he's doing is he's just boldly preaching. He's out, out in the wilderness. He's preaching Christ. He's preaching people are repenting. He's just boldly proclaiming it. He boldly says to Herod there that you are not to divorce. You are not to marry your sister-in-law. And what happens? He gets taken into prison and ultimately um, because of Herodias's daughter dancing and things in this drunken party, um, she makes a request for the head of John the Baptist. And Herod goes and he, and he fulfills that. 
John the Baptist dies as a martyr because he's standing up against moral corruption. You see, folks, that is not the only thing that we need to stand up, but we need to stand up for our God, for his word in the right way. And and folks, sometimes Christians get persecuted and they get persecuted for the wrong reasons. But there is a time and a place and there's a time where we need to stand up for God and for the truth in a right way. Okay, I'm not saying going bombing up things that you don't agree with, but we have a vote. We have we have opportunities to to do things and influence our society. But there's times we just need to take a stand. We shouldn't care what other people think of us. We should care what God thinks. And we should try to be that salt and light in this world. We know of Stephen. Stephen was 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 taken. He was one of the one of the deacons. The Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He uh, did great works there and and he gets taken. And and as you read in that passage there, really all the lies and the false accusations for taking him. And you see, this often happens throughout the times of church history. There's all these false accusations and people that are true born again believers are called heretics. And all they're trying to do is get the word of God out. All they're trying to do is to understand For by grace alone are you saved and people will disagree and call him a heretic and they were martyred for their faith. And that's what happened to Stephen. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, spirit filled. He he talks about the history of Israel and all the different things. And ultimately, he talks about how they're 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 in the temple and things. And he says, God doesn't dwell in temples and gets right to the point of saying you've rejected the Holy Spirit. You've rejected Christ. And what do they do? They get stiff necked. They get upset. Cut something like cut to the teeth. The idea that they want to kill Stephen right there. They take him and they stone him. And what does Stephen do? He says, Father, forgive them. He forgives them. He looks up to heaven and he's taken. He's killed. Ten years later, once you turn there, turn to Acts. Uh, I believe it's Acts chapter t- uh, 12. Acts 12, again, Herod, this being a different Herod now. Now about that time, Herod, the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. It wasn't only the religious people uh, that that ended up killing Christ and then killed Stephen, but it's even the government. Herod there, he's wanting to vex the church. He's wanting to persecute. He's wanting to cause injury. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And the idea there is that he was beheaded. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And the intent really to take Peter and to kill Peter as a martyr. Ultimately, God has other plans. James is taken, Peter is delivered, and God does a mighty work through that. But we see really uh, John here just doing these things, and and uh, we don't know much more about it, but he's taken and, and he, is, he is killed and he is um, beheaded. Let me give you some other Things. Throughout, the, throughout the history of the church, from the first century onward, both pagan and religious political leaders have killed those with religious beliefs that differed from their own. The Roman Empire killed Christians because they refused to worship Roman emperors as gods. The long dominant Catholic church in Europe martyred Protestants for their refusal to accept the Pope as God's vice 
uh, regent on the earth. In in Muslim countries, Christians were killed for being infidels. Let me tell you of some of these things. In the first century, not only Stephen was stoned, but James, ten years later, would be stoned or, or beheaded. Philip was crucified, A.D. 54. Matthew was slain in A.D. 60. James, the author of the epistle called James, that would be the brother of the Lord Jesus or the half-brother, had his head crushed by the Jews. Matthias was stoned in Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Jude was crucified in uh, A.D. 72. Luke is alleged to have been hanged in Greece. Thomas was killed with a spear, though he was tortured and burned in boiling oil. John was the only apostle who escaped violent death. The first major persecution of the church as a whole took place in A.D. 67 under Nero. He set Rome aflame, played his harp, and then blamed the Christians for the nine-day fire. Nero sowed believers in wild dogs inside animal skin bags. He dressed other believers in shirts of stiff wax and set them on fire as torches to light his gardens. During the course of Nero's rule, both Peter and Paul died. You know one of the reasons that most historians believe Nero burnt down that part of Rome? He burned it down so he could build it back up. And he blamed the Christians for that. It was under the emperor uh, Trajan that uh, Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, because of his faith, was eaten by wild beasts. Before his death, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome asking them not to use any means to deliver him from his martyrdom. As he was being prepared for death, he said this, I am the wheat of Christ. I'm going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may be found pure bread. Diocletian, who ruled in A.D. 303, he launched the 10th major Roman persecution against Christians. During this time, the homes of many Christians were set on fire, and a common means of killing believers was to tie large stones around their necks and cast them into the sea. Horrible. The Catholic Court of Inquisition was first established in uh, uh, 1231 to find and prosecute heretics. The first inquestor was Dominic, who founded the Dominicans in 1215. Courts of the Inquisition were established in several countries, but the Spanish Inquisition became the most powerful and the most dreaded of any. The Pope gave the Dominicans and Franciscans almost unlimited power to fine, judge, and sentence to death anyone thought to be a heretic. The power of the Inquisition was strengthened in 1244 when Emperor Frederick II published an edict that all heretics should be burned at the stake. When a heretic was condemned, he would be whipped, tortured, sent to work on a galley ship, or killed. In the 1300s, John Wycliffe attacked the Catholic Church and the Pope, whom he called the Antichrist, and he worked to translate the Bible into English. He was brought to trial and condemned as a heretic for his attacks against uh, papal authority. 
Wycliffe finally went into hiding and died a natural death in 1384. 41 years after his death, however, Catholics removed his body from his grave, burned it, and threw the ashes into a river to destroy any memory of his work. Talk about some, some hatred there. John Huss, a minister in Bohemia in the 1300s, was the follower of Wycliffe and spread his teachings. He, too, was condemned as a heretic and burned at the stake. As he was being chained to the stake, he smiled and said, My Lord Jesus Christ was bound with a harder chain than this for my sake. And why then should I be ashamed of this rusty one? Huss sang hymns as he was burned to death. Martin Luther was also persecuted for opposing the Catholic Church's teaching. On October 31st, 1517, he nailed 90... Uh, the 95th proposals or 95 proposals to the door of the church in Wittenberg, challenging the teachings of the Catholic Church. Charged with heresy, he told his council of accusers, my conscience is so bound and captivated in these scriptures and the word of God that I will not or I may not revoke any manner of thing considering it is not godly or lawful to do anything against conscience. Hereupon, I stand in rest. I have not what else to say. God, have mercy on me. Those are his famous last words. William Tyndale, the first person to translate the New Testament into English, was driven into exile for his work. During his exile, a secret agent of the Catholic Church befriended him and had him arrested. Tyndale, after a mock trial, was tied to a stake and burned. Lord, open the king of England's eyes, Tyndale shouted as he died. Queen Mary came to the throne in England in 1553 and immediately began a campaign of persecution against Protestants. One of the first martyrs under her rule was Lady Jane Grey, who had briefly been Queen of England. Climbing the scaffold to face a beheading, she told her audience, I pray you all, good Christian people, to bear me witness that I die a good Christian woman and that I do look to be saved by no other means but only by the mercy of God and the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. She lay her head down on the block and said her final words, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. She was 17. Many others were persecuted for their faith. Many of the Quakers were persecuted for their faith and left England, went over to America, and were persecuted not only back in England, but some were even persecuted when they came to America too. Did you know that? I believe it was um, in Pennsylvania where they finally found a freedom of religion, but some of the other places, colonies, uh, there still was persecution that would come upon them. You remember John Bunyan. He was born the same year the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. His father was uh, a tinker. um, I think someone that went around fixing uh, different things, different metal objects and things. He brought John up in the same trade. As a child while playing with a cat, Bunyan says he heard a voice from heaven say to him, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven or have thy sins and go to hell? At about this same time, he heard three women talking about the new birth and the work of God in their hearts. As a young man, Bunyan spent a year in the parliamentary army, 
when one of his friends was killed next to him, he began to ponder spiritual matters and in time repented of his sins and became a devout believer. By the age of 30, he was leading a leading Baptist preacher in the area. Bunyan's experience was religious persecution began early when he was arrested for preaching without a license. Do you have a license, Pastor? <laughs> license from the Lord, right? He took two books with him to prison, the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. While in prison, he also began writing books. His most immortal was Pilgrim's Progress, at first criticized by his Puritan friends as just another addition to worldly literature. However, it was not long before his book was treasured by the very people who criticized it. It was perhaps two centuries before literary critics began to realize this story, rich in meaning, and modeled upon the King James Bible as one of the glories of the English literature. Let's do another one. Much more recent. 18, well, not too recent, but 1812. The first missionaries of America, American board left for the Orient. Dr. and Mrs. Judson arrived in Burma in 1813 to conduct missionary work. In 1824, however, war broke out between the British East India Company and the Burmese Empire. Dr. Judson was imprisoned for several months while his wife attempted to pay off the Burmese soldiers to lessen his tortures. In May 1826, Mrs. Judson wrote a letter to her husband's brother explaining the trials they had endured during his husband's torture and imprisonment. She was in despair over her husband's arrest and told his brother, I retired into my room and endeavored to obtain consolation from committing my case to God and imploring fortitude and strength to suffer whatever awaited me. She then destroyed all of her writings to avoid disclosure to the authorities that she and her husband had informed friends in England of everything that was happening to them. The following morning, she learned from a messenger that all the white foreigners were being held in a death prison, each shackled with three pairs of iron fetters and fastened to a long pole to hold them still. On the third day of her husband's captivity, she sent a message to the governor of the city asking to see him. She was allowed to visit him, but was told that she and her husband's future comfort in the city depended upon the gifts she would give him. He wanted a hundred dollars, two pieces of fine cloth, and two handkerchiefs. She was eventually permitted to visit the prison. According to Mrs. Judson, there was above a hundred prisoners shut up in one room without a breath of air except excepting the cracks in the boards. I sometimes obtained permission to go to the door for five minutes, but my heart sickened as the wretchedness exhibited. The white prisoners from um, uh, perspiration, a loss of appetite, looked more like the dead than the living. She was allowed to visit the prison each day. While she did that, uh, things keep going on. um, Although... All throughout Dr. Judson's imprisonment, he managed to hide a manuscript that translated the New Testament into the Burmese language. He had hiding it in a bag fashioned into the hard pillow that he used in prison. One of Dr. Judson's fellow prisoners, an Englishman who had benefited from Mrs. Judson's generosity, wrote a letter of tribute to her that was published in a newspaper. He said in part, the overflowing of grateful feelings on behalf of myself and fellow prisoners compel me to add a tribute of public thanks to that amiable and humane female 
who through living at a distance of two miles from our prison without any means of convenience and very feeble in health forgot her own comfort and infirmity and almost every day visited us sought out and administered to our wants and contributed in every way to alleviate our misery and there's more that can be said and and all that took place there but folks even even very recently with columbine that took place in the high school shooting they asked are you a christian yes i am boom would you open, uh, or you may already have been axed there, but can you open to Matthew 5? I'm not trying to scare anybody tonight or give any glory details or anything like that. But the fact is, we need to remember those that have gone on before us. There is a great cloud of witnesses, and we don't need to know every name, and we don't need to know every detail. But the fact is, is that we have it very easy in America. And the time may come, the time is now. Where it's, it's interesting, but because of a lack of persecution, often the church is not as on fire for God as they should be. Actually, persecution and trial help the church to be right. You help to figure out who's the genuine believer and who's not. But, but folks, we have got to be on fire for God. We've got to realize that, that this day could come, and, 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 and if it doesn't, whatever, we need to live for our God and boldly proclaim the truths of God's word. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 12, read, it says, um, well, verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, folks, this world is not our home. We look forward to heaven where we will be. And all that matters is that we live for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we really set ourselves aflame for him. The last part here, the Bible says that we ought to be a salt in a light. A salt that preserves, a salt that helps people to want to know more about Jesus. And a light that others may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. God, help us to be that light and that salt And as we remember those that have went on before us, as we celebrate Memorial Day, let us not forget the Christians that gave their life and ultimately the Lord Jesus who gave his life, who we are to we are to set aside every weight and every sin that easily besets us. And we're to run with patience, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, the one who endured the cross, despised the shame and is set at the right hand of the father. Consider him who went through so much for us. God help us. Let's pray.